ladies and gentlemen, Rob Port here. Sanitingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Here on the Rob Report on WDAY. Your call in number 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. You can email me to talk at WDAY.com. Or send me a tweet at Rob Port. I'm pretty easy to find. Good afternoon, Natil. How are you? Pretty good. How are you today, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. We had a nice Valentine's Day. Oh, that's good. My uh, my wife uh, made the kids and I a steak. Ooh. Steaks. Uh, she uh, she's gone vegetarian though. <gasps> yeah. I would never survive without meat. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's how not a thing I it. could do. <laughs> it's you know, it's a decision uh, that she made for herself. You know that she wants to have. Uh, it's a health decision. She doesn't have anything. She's not like an animal rights activist. She doesn't have anything against people eating meat. She's just It's just something she's trying out uh, for her health. And, you know, I wish her luck with it, but I'm not doing it. So, <laughs> so that was good. And then we put the kids to bed and uh, we, we watched Golden Girls on Hulu all night. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not a, a bad thing. I actually got surprised by a friend who took me out to lunch yesterday after I got off the board with you. So we went downtown, and I had crispy pork belly ramen, and it was Ooh. fabulous. Sounds delicious. Speaking of, you know, not being a vegetarian. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, it was great. I um, I, I had gotten an email from Hulu that, that they had Golden Girls in their library. I don't know if they just added it or whatever, and my wife loves the show. And honestly, I probably shouldn't admit it publicly, but I, I like it too. I think it's I think it's great. I You know. I don't know. It, those old sitcoms sometimes are kind of comforting. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's just nostalgia. Like, I remember my parents watching it or whatever. But Well, I still like to go back and watch, like, old episodes of Friends sometimes. So Yeah. yeah. My wife, uh, my wife on Netflix, my wife watches those. All righty. Uh, coming up here at one thirty, we are going to talk about, we're going to talk with Lieutenant Tom Iverson from the North Dakota Highway Patrol. Uh, he is going to be on the program. There is um, there are a lot of problems down at the uh, at the Dakota Access protest camps. Uh, it is turning into a soup. They are struggling to try to get cars out of there, but it's it's not clear to me at this point what level of access they even have to the camp in terms of you know getting tow trucks in there, getting garbage trucks in there to get stuff out. I mean, it's. I have heard, and, and, and I guess we'll get the straight dope from Lieutenant Iverson, but I have heard that there are serious concerns that they're not going to be able to get everything out of there and that some of that crap is going to end up getting washed into the river, which is is, is just a travesty. Uh, you know, I don't understand why it's not national news. I don't know why, you know, the, the celebrities who are out here advocating for this, why they're not being questioned about this. I mean, it is an absolute, they created an eyesore. On the banks of the Missouri River, they came here supposedly to protect the environment, supposedly to protect the water, and they've probably done more harm to the water than the pipeline company has. It's it's just it's unconscionable. There's no excuses for it. Um, but anyway, we'll get the details from uh, Lieutenant Iverson. Uh, also, uh, some news: Democrats announcing a group of amendments to the medical marijuana. You know, until you and I have been talking about this a lot, the medical marijuana measure. Uh, it passed on the ballot. The language is unworkable. Uh, there was legislation backed by the Republican and Democratic leadership to uh, to make some changes to it. 
there were some people who were very upset by those changes. They didn't like them. Uh, so Democrats have introduced a group of amendments uh, to that measure. I have them all up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to see them. And I think what they're proposing is good, Natil. I like it. I think I think Republicans ought to pass it. That, I think makes, it's, that, that makes me happy, actually. Yeah. The um, some of the things they're addressing, of course, is the um, the evidence Senate Bill twenty three forty four, which is which is the fix legislation. It would have only made it possible to for medical marijuana by pills and oils. Uh, this would allow it for whatever method of delivery their doctor sees fit. Um, there were some issues that the, the Senate Bill twenty three forty four defines a minor as anyone under the age of twenty one years old. So basically, meaning you can't get medical marijuana if you're under twenty one. Uh, the Democrats, Demo- the amendment Democrats are proposing would move that to 19. I guess they're concerned if they move it to 18, you might lump into some some 18-year-olds who are still in high school. So they're figuring 19 might be a better way to, to set that. I don't know. I think if you're an adult and you're an adult, put it at 18. It shouldn't matter if you're an adult or not. This isn't a drug. It's medicine. Yeah. Well, and, Children and who have epilepsy benefit from this medicine just as much as adults with epilepsy. That's a, that's another thing the amendments ch- uh, change. Senate Bill 2344 does not allow a family's physician to recommend medical marijuana for a child. A pediatric specialist must make this recommendation. Uh, what they would change it to is they would allow a, a family physician in consultation with a pediatric specialist to recommend medical marijuana to child patients. So, um, you know, just, just loosening it up all the way around. I think this these are good amendments. I hope the Republicans... Uh, adopt them. I don't think Democrats did themselves any favors by playing some of the partisan games around this. Um, you know, coming out and acting like it was, you know, you know, Republicans and Al Carlson and and all these terrible people who are trying to, you know, undo the will of the people. Listen, you know, Democrats can't change the fact that their leadership signed on to this legislation. They did. I mean, it's it's just it's a fact, and now they're trying to walk away from it. And playing those sorts of games are not conducive to maybe finding some common ground on this and kicking out some legislation that gives North Dakotans the access to medical marijuana that they voted for. So I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't have any sense of how, uh, how accepted these amendments are going to be, how far they're going to go. But uh, you know, I, I think what Democrats have put on the table here is reasonable and I hope Republicans, uh, I hope they take them up. I think it would be good. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Love to hear what you think about it. Uh, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see, yesterday the state Senate voted down the last speed limit bill. Uh, Senate, there, there was a previous bill in the state house which would have moved all state highways up by five miles per hour. Uh, that one was defeated, gosh, a couple of weeks ago now, I think. Uh, Senator Lonnie Lafine's bill from, uh, he's from, a Republican from Grand Forks, his bill would have applied just to the interstate, so just to I-29, just to I-94, and it would have moved them up from 75 to 80 miles an hour. That was was defeated um, on an 18 to 28 vote, so not really that close. One thing that, that sort of interested me about this, because I think a lot of people in the seal were concerned that going to 80 miles an hour was going to make you know people travel even faster, at what what speed do you think would be the average on the interstates, Natil? I mean, just just what people actually drive on the interstate. Speed limit's seventy five now. If you I, had to guess, I would guess that the average. Well, 
depending on whether or not you're in winter or summer, like in good non-winter driving conditions, right. I'd say the average is probably between 70 and 75. The average on the interstates is about 82, 83 miles an hour. Also, between that's, 82 and 83. that's faster than I was expecting. Yeah. And it's, I mean, granted, it's on the interstate. So that's that's the average according to, to the North Dakota Department of Transportation. Now, what's interesting is that South Dakota actually passed similar legislation to this. And I think the assumption a lot of people have, because right now there's sort of that gray area, you know, that wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, the speed limit's 75, but, you know, law enforcement, unless unless the conditions are hazardous, law enforcement's not really going to do anything until you get up to, like, over 80. Um, and so I, I think there's that assumption that if we moved it to 80, then people are going to start, you know, thinking, okay, well, now the gray area is up to 85. And in some people's mind, that was just too fast. But what's interesting is that when South Dakota did this, and this this came up out in the floor testimony or the floor debate yesterday, when South Dakota moved their speed limit up, people didn't start stop driving, start driving faster. They didn't see really any change in the traffic. So so really, the only thing that changed in South Dakota is instead of people exceeding the speed limit by you know seven or eight miles an hour, they were exceeding the speed limit by two or three miles per hour. Um. Do you Which know is interesting. What, do you know what the penalties were for exceeding the speed limit in South Dakota were, though? Because You know, I don't know. That's a good question. Because uh, I, think, I, I, I think that's a big part of what goes into the worries here in North Dakota yeah. is that the penalties are so minimal for speeding in North Dakota that I don't think that well, they I don't think that the current uh, I don't think that the current penalties would be a deterrent for people to not drive 85 86. well that was one thing that was amended into this bill is it actually did increase the penalties oh, good. as well uh and although this bill didn't i mean it's a moot point now the bill failed but um it they did i mean that was amended in they did increase the penalties and that was actually one thing that came out because there's actually separate legislation that has to do with funding for the new radio system uh for state law enforcement which is badly needed and one way they're tackling that is by boosting speeding fees a little bit. Um, and so I, I, there was actually a concern that that both with this bill raising speeding fines and that bill raising speeding fines, we were going to end up with almost a doubling in the state speeding fines, which, you know, the two of them together is probably excessive. But I do think if we're going to do this, we should do it comprehensively. Um, you know, I, in the future, if this issue comes up again, I think it's prudent to go up in our speed limits across the state. I think if we're going to do it though, we should also go up in the speeding fines. I think that's a good trade-off on the bill, but that'll have to be a debate for another legislative session. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You know, it's interesting. Something else in the the uh, State House of Representatives yesterday. By the way, uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Those are your call-in numbers. This is the Rob Report on WDAY. Email talk at WDAY.com. Another interesting piece of legislation uh, passing in the legislature yesterday. Uh, I, I guess the legislature we were talking about in the last segment, the uh, speed limit bill, did not pass in the State Senate. What did pass in the State House is a bill 
to require drug testing for welfare recipients. Now, uh, a similar piece of legislation failed in the state Senate. This one passed in the state House. And I, I think it's really interesting because when most people think about this issue, when it comes up, um, and, and conservatives are, are to blame for this because this is typically how they, they pitch this is, is you know, saving money and kicking people who are using drugs off of public assistance programs. Um, all this does, it's, it's, it's really actually a very, you know, c- compared to, to some of the other bills that have just been pages and pages of legal stuff, this is pretty simple. It adds one section to the code. And it requires that each individual on an employment plan uh, participate in and undergo a, a, a man uh, undergo a mandatory addiction screening, and then basically, if they test positive, they get directed into a treatment program. And that's it. There's nothing in this bill at all to remove welfare benefits from people, and I, and I like that because. I don't think this, this argument, and I've I've bought into it in the past, but as I have thought more about it, you, I don't think drug testing welfare recipients is going to be a way that you're going to save money. It's it's just it's just not. You're not drug testing is expensive. You're going to spend more money on the drug testing than you are than you're going to save in the benefits for for kicking people off. Uh, that's just I, I think that's just that's just mathematics. I, you know, I, I don't think there are as many people on these programs using drugs as, as maybe some would like to think. Uh, so I, I just I don't think the savings are there. But why I think this legislation is still important is that it creates a mechanism within an existing social program to identify people who may, in addition to their economic hardships, be suffering from some form of, of addiction, be it alcohol or drug addiction or what have you. I don't see why we would be resistant to something that allows us to identify those people and then enhance the help that they're getting, right? So we identify people who are struggling with some sort of substance abuse. And in addition to supporting them economically, we also direct them into a program that can help them deal with, with that other problem. And, I mean, listen, most people who have a substance abuse problem, that's impacting them economically as well. Now, not everybody on welfare has a drug problem. Not even most people on welfare have a drug problem or a substance abuse problem. But just about everybody with a substance abuse problem has an economic problem, right? I mean, if you're using drugs or drinking too much alcohol – you're probably having a hard time being successful in your career. You're probably not making enough money to support yourself or your family. And that is probably a reason why you're on welfare. So I don't know. I mean, if, 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 if that's the limited scope of this legislation, is that we're just going to identify, and, and it is. You can read the whole thing at sayanythingblog.com if you like. If that's the scope of this legislation, why would we be opposed to that? Why Why would we have I, – I don't understand why there would be an object, objection to that. And I, I understand, you know, some people react to this and, and are reacting to this bill based on previous attempts at, at drug testing for, for welfare recipients. And, and But, the, again, the problem with those previous attempts is that they were focused on 
let's find a way to deny people benefits and save the taxpayers money, right? Let's identify the addicts and deny them benefits, and that'll save the taxpayers money. And I don't think that makes for good social policy. What could make, what I do think makes for good social policy, what in fact I think would probably make the welfare system more effective, is if we had a mechanism by which we can identify people who, in addition to their economic hardships, also have substance problems. And in addition to helping those people economically, we help them by addressing their addressing their substance abuse issues as well. Now, the kicker is that that's not going to save us money. In fact, that's going to cost us more money. And we have to be willing to fund that if we're going to go down this road. And frankly, I, I think that might be worth it. If we can, if we can return, you know, where we're really going to see an economic benefit, where we're really going to see something positive for taxpayers, is if we could take some of the folks who are currently collecting this assistance and turn them into self-sufficient citizens. If we can accomplish that goal, then we're winning. And if it costs us a little bit more on the front end to accomplish more of that on the back end, sign me up. Maybe that doesn't make me a good conservative, but I don't know. That sounds like good policy to me. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. North Dakota Highway Patrol Lieutenant Tom Iverson coming up next. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. Whoa, had a frog in my throat. <laughs> Welcome back to the Rob Report here on WDAY. Call in 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. My guest is Lieutenant Tom Iverson from the North Dakota Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Iverson, thanks for your time. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on. What's um? Tell us down there. We're, we're, we're seeing pictures on social media. We're hearing reports. The... The protest camp down there looks like a soup bowl right now. What what are things like? I mean, is is it all cleanup? Is give us an overview of what's happening down at that camp right now? Well, basically, there is a lot of cleanup going on right now, but it's it's slow moving and it's it's not going to be fast enough to be honest. Um, there's a lot of a uh, lot of snow melt, ice melt going on in that area right now. That low lying area and absolutely just not a good place to have a camp um with any sort of melting going on and it is it is extremely wet down there a lot of uh a lot of water uh in the area making it kind of difficult for those getting around even the cleanup efforts have got to be kind of difficult um still kind of trying to figure out the total number of people in camps there uh but it kind of fluctuates each each day um, the best we can do is kind of base it off of vehicle counts and those kind of fluctuate around the high 200 mark. Do you, do you feel when you say high 200, like close to 300 or? Yeah. Yeah. The two eighties, uh, right around there is what I remember being last, uh, down there. Are, are, are the people who are still in the camp, are they hindering cleanup in any way? I mean, how, how are they reacting to the fact that there are, you know, people moving out truckloads of garbage and everything 
all around them. I mean, are they resisting that? Are they fighting that? What What are the reactions from them? You know, it's my understanding it's going to be a mixed bag. Uh, there are some people that are, are more willing and understand the importance of cleaning up, but then there's another faction, too, that understand that uh, the part of the cleanup is eventually going to be, um, you know, the cleanup of everything uh, because that area could be underwater, and, and they recognize that, and, you know, they've, they've committed themselves to this. Um, they're willing to go to some drastic measures. That's what we're concerned with. That's the group that we're concerned with, and we, we need to be careful how we approach that. I, I just have, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is a little bit of, of breaking news, so I don't, I don't know how how much you know about it, or may, maybe you do, or how this is going to fit into this picture. But Senator John Hoven's office sent out a press release saying that the Corps is sending a cleanup crew to the pipeline site this week. Uh, they're expected to be on site by the end of the week to assist in cleaning up the area. Is that going to set up a conflict with with some of the people you're saying who are are still sticking it out down there? I mean, are you expecting resistance? And is there, I mean, are the is the federal Senate, federal government sending a law enforcement contingent with that, or is North Dakota law enforcement expected to provide security during that? Well, <laughs> all the above with that. Um, now, as far as the cleanup efforts, that is my understanding is the Army Corps of Engineers does have a contract uh, lined up. To help assist in some of that, I do not know precisely what the time frame is on that. Uh, I suppose it surely could be this week. Um, but yes, it is going to create um, some security concerns. I should say that uh, whether it's a uh, local law enforcement or us with the highway patrol or some federal assistance, we're going to need to have um, some safety measures put in place there, um, so people feel safe to be in that camp cleaning up and are not, you know, intimidated or uh, face potential real threats. Um, but hopefully uh, we get that federal support. That's kind of what we've been um, hoping for and asking for for quite some time now. Do you have, because, again, I mean, we're talking about an area, it's getting very soupy, it's getting very wet, and yet we have some very large-scale type, work that needs to be done truckloads and truckloads of garbage and then in particular we're hearing about all these abandoned cars that are down there can you tell us about the process for because i imagine there's a legal process i mean you can't just roll up on a car and haul it away i mean is what sort of a process do they have to go through to, to legally remove those cars from the site well they from my understanding they can be removed from the site but it's it's kind of how they're dealt with after the fact. So okay. uh, once the towing company essentially would go in there, remove those from the site because, you know, it doesn't, there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, burden of proof on the abandoned vehicles. If they can kind of show that, hey, that's been, it's been abandoned there, you know, for, for a couple weeks now, well, then they can go ahead and tow that vehicle out of there. But then on the backside of informing the owner, trying to track down who the owner is from the registration or the VIN number on the vehicle. That's going to take a little bit of time. They need to send them a letter uh, notifying them that they are in possession of the vehicle and go through that process. You know, a lot of times from my dealings with them on the road, uh, it was very difficult trying to get a hold of the owner. A lot of times they were abandoned on purpose 
Uh, they, they want nothing to do with that vehicle anymore. And sometimes it goes back a couple owners, you know, you make a phone call and, oh, no, I sold that uh, so-and-so back in, you know, 2009. And then that person has sold it, but it's still registered to the original owners. That can create some issues. I, I think people are hearing, you know, such a large number, dozens and dozens of cars, even reports up to a couple of hundred cars abandoned down there. And I think people are wondering, how did so many cars end up down there? I've heard people say that some of them are are, are stolen, although I haven't seen any substantiation for that. I mean, where, where, where do these cars come? I mean, how, how did, why are people leaving cars, something of, of, of not insignificant amount of value, leaving them down there? Right. It is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I would agree. I don't have substantial evidence. I'm more anecdotal evidence of why the vehicles are there. Um, we heard some talks early on that some of them were rental vehicles that that they maybe had insurance on it, and they just said, well, the heck with it, and just left it there um, instead of returning it to Bismarck or wherever they got it from. Um, or if they are vehicles that really don't have a lot of worth, and they got a ride from someone else out of there. Um, I can see that happening too. Uh, once in a while, that you know that'll happen up on the interstate system where it just come along a vehicle that really doesn't have any worth, and it's probably not even worth the money for a towing company to come out there and tow that vehicle for for salvage reasons. I mean, they're they're probably essentially out money by doing that. At the beginning of of our segment, you said that that you didn't think we were going to be getting the uh, the cleaning stuff done fast enough and and again i mean you have deteriorating conditions i, I imagine getting the, the trucks and the equipment in there that are needed to, to do the cleaning up is getting more and more difficult with with the land and also you don't i mean that is uh, it, that it was anyway a very beautiful area and i, I think nobody wants to do anything that that's going to scar it you know long term in a rush to get the garbage out of there but uh, expand on that a little bit are we going to end up with cars and trash in the river you know what? I would say the current process that is in place right now with the cleanup efforts, that is not going to be adequate. Um, now, if the Army Corps of Engineers comes in with a um, with a contract and then they're able to subcontract out to a lot of other crews to where, you know, they can start providing, you know, essentially, oh, I don't know, 100 truckloads a day, I suppose, you could, you could get out of there. Um, now we're talking some serious... Uh, some serious turnaround on that cleanup efforts that will um, give me a whole lot more faith in getting that garbage and uh, some of the rubble that's down there out of there so it does not end up in the river. So if that is put into place and that does happen, um, which is kind of my understanding that's in the works, um, then yeah, I feel pretty good about uh, the cleanup efforts um, getting taken care of. But, you know, with this warm weather, I mean, we're – getting up almost to the 50s uh, that's really melting really quick and it, yeah. it's it's a muddy um soupy mess down there in in terms of of uh, we've heard a lot about you know establishing other camps on higher ground or what have you can you tell us i mean have those sort of camps been established i mean obviously the you know the, the main camps that kind of became famous during the heights of the protests those are being emptied out have those protesters moved other places in any significant numbers? There have been some additional camps set up. Um, I don't know the exact names of them, but it, nor do I know the precise numbers of them. But it's a, 
a decent amount of people to, I guess, qualify it as, you know, what would determine a camp. Um, and those are probably going to be up on some of the higher grounds. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still on uh, Army Corps of Engineer land or not, but if it is, I mean, we're just kind of kicking the can down, or they are kicking the can down the road um, because it ultimately um, nobody should expect to be able to camp on land that's not yours for infinity that just doesn't make sense as this you know obviously you know things are unfolding and this really doesn't have anything to do with law enforcement because law enforcement's just been about enforcing the law not taking a side on the pipeline but certainly we're seeing progress on this on the political front construction has resumed um i mean any indication that as that you know as the project nears completion that they're going to disperse, or, or is this here for the long run? That is kind of a magical question. I actually proposed that the other day uh, to our PIO group that, you know, what, what would happen if a year from now uh, we're, still, we're still sitting here, we're still coming to these meetings? Um, that's something that we all want to avoid. We want to get back to our normal, our normal days and go on with our lives, but we do have to kind of be prepared for that. Um, and do what we can to encourage those that are still here to to go back home and to leave this up uh, up to the courts. Uh, let it play out in courts. Um, and I sure hope people would listen to uh, Chairman Archambault's wishes on that as well. That hey, the fight's not here in North Dakota; it's it's in the court system now. But after the pipeline is built, um, I I don't know why. There would be a group sticking around, but it seems like every every other day I'm, I'm surprised by something different. So I La- totally last, can't rule it out. La- last question for you: I mean, are there ongoing security concerns? Because obviously, after the pipeline is is buried in the ground, you know, this, the 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 workers are going to go home, and I, I think a lot of people think, well, maybe that's the end of it. But we did have an incident, you know, last year where we had a group of activists go and you know, sh- you know, try to shut off valves. There are portions of this pipeline, I'm assuming, that are exposed. Has there been talk about how we're going to provide or, or w- what the security implications are for, for that, for, for possible attacks after some of this dies down? Um, absolutely. As far as the talks um, regarding those security concerns, I'm not necessarily aware of any specific ones that uh, law enforcement has been involved in. However, there will be security concerns. I mean, that only makes sense that um, we need to kind of look at, you know, are there exposed valves on each side of the river? I'm assuming there, there's got to be something, something there. Um, and what kind of a structure do that, does that look like? And who is in charge of uh, security on that and making sure that it is safe and secure? Those are some of the things that will need to be worked out. Um, so I don't, I don't foresee... Um, a lot of this going away anytime soon. Um, wishful thinking. I, I really wish it would, but uh, I, I don't think it will. Lieutenant Iverson, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, Rob, thank you. That's Lieutenant Tom Iverson of the North Dakota Highway Patrol. We'll wrap it up right after this. 701 293 Don't go away. You know the
Welcome back, Rob Report. You know, I we were supposed to have, I, I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, we were supposed to have Congressman Kevin Kramer uh, on the show today for a weekly town hall. This was actually supposed to be the inaugural day, but it turns out he had committee hearings. Uh, they're actually, uh, they got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I don't know if it's in front of his committee or if he's just, I, I, I don't know if this is part of it. I know, I know the Standing Rock Tribe and the Dakota Access folks are testifying before Congress today, so I don't know if. I don't know if Congressman Kramer had to attend that or not, but he had he had stuff going on in Congress, so we're actually going to do it Friday instead. Uh, he'll be on the show Friday. He'll take your calls, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, you want to talk about Donald Trump. You want to talk about the pipelines, whatever you want to ask him about. He'll be here for you. Uh, so that'll happen Friday. Most weeks it'll happen Wednesday, but uh, this week it'll happen Friday. Uh, just a scheduling thing. And I, I guess we could give him a pass on that, Natil, if he has to attend to the duties of Congress. I suppose that's okay. I guess we can be bumped for that. Um, but, yeah, like I said, Friday. And, I, it, you know, if that, that's probably going to happen from week to week with that thing with the uh, with the town halls. He's a, um, you know, he's a member of Congress. Things come up. Uh, we're going to try to make it work Wednesday each week. But if it doesn't work, we're going to reschedule it for another time that week. So at least once a week we'll get him on for about a half an hour to take your calls, take your comments, take your questions, uh, and also take my comments and questions. Uh, although I'll put yours first. You know, uh, it'll be your time with him, and if uh, if you guys aren't calling in, then I'll ask him questions. But I'll prioritize uh, your stuff. Uh, let's see. What do we got coming up here? Uh, that's coming up Friday. I don't know who we're going to have on the show tomorrow. I'll figure that out later. I always like, I always like to wait till pretty close to showtime before getting stuff booked. I work on a lot of stuff, but I like to stay topical right i like to stay on like to stay oh, on top topical of is that what we're calling it i was i was gonna say you like to fly by the seat of your pants well that too <laughs> that too I, it's just the way i did it you know i i started when i started writing about politics it was something i did in my spare time and it was something i never had enough time to do and so everything was always just you know um last minute cramming it in between everything else and i don't know uh Let's see. So that's basically just how you're used to working. Yeah. It's just my method. If it's you call it's it a your method. method. My method is no method at all. Okay. That's my method. Hey, uh, reports I'm hearing from uh, down at the legislature. You know, Governor Burgum uh, ran a pretty blistering campaign, uh, you know, campaigning against the good old boys and everything. I'm hearing things are going pretty good between him and the legislature. Well, that's uh, good Things news. are working out. I, I think it is. I, I think it's. I expect, in fact, I desire a certain amount of friction between the legislative and executive branches. I think that's a feature of our system of government. There should be between the, you know, the, the separate and co-equal branches of government. They should be challenging each other. But that's friction how our government is, works. Friction is definitely different than a grinding halt. But right, I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think we need them throwing rotten tomatoes at each other. And it sounds like Bergam meant what he said when he said he was coming in with a genuine curiosity and and a humbleness and. And, and on the legislative side, I think they're also humbled a little bit by the fact that the guy who campaigned against the good old boys club got one in a landslide. So <laughs> that'll uh, that'll take some starch out of your collar. Hey, Jay Thomas show coming up next. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again. Around the back of my hotel. Oh, yeah.